Hey, welcome back to the As You Are podcast. It's part four of our study on the book of James, and today we're going to be in part of chapter two and part of chapter three. We're talking about how faith produces good works in our lives and how important it is to learn how to tame the tongue. This is some really good stuff, so settle in. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. We are in our fourth week of our study on the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and then James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to break some stuff down for you, talk about a little bit of history, and send you off with some practical things. So, Anna, do you want to pray to kick us off? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for each person that's listening to this across the country. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would um, speak to us through your word. Would we fall more in love with you as we study and learn scripture and learn about your heart? Uh, Lord, we just say we love you so much and we give you this time. Amen. Amen. Up until this point, James is packed full of some of the most helpful reminders that I've read in a while. Just to go back a smidge, we talked about counting it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds because it produces steadfastness in us. And when that has its full effect, that James said, you'll be lacking in nothing, which meant you'll be prepared for anything that comes like that through our faith in God, that we can be prepared for whatever comes. And then he says, if you lack the wisdom to do it, ask God who gives generously. Um, We talked about double mindedness, if you'll remember, and he's going to continue to kind of hit on some of that subject as we go through. And then we also talked about every good and perfect gift coming from God and believing the best about God and truly knowing him and therefore being able to rely on him as our foundation rather than letting Satan tempt us away or cause us to question him. And then last week we talked about being doers of the word. We talked about the word as a mirror that shows us more about God, shows us more about ourselves and what he's doing in our lives And the sin of partiality is what the chapter is called, but it's basically um, judging people based on what they can offer you in a relationship. And James is challenging us, and Jesus called us to unconditional love for everyone and to love everyone as ourselves. So that kind of catches us up to where we are today. It's kind of crazy (laughs) because that's so much. Like everything you just listed is so much and we're only halfway through chapter two (laughs) i know this is like why james is only five chapters long because it's like packed full yeah you could spend years just studying the book of james it's a really good tool i hope that y'all remember like just because you've studied it once 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 we get through this series doesn't mean that you don't need to come back to it like i think that this is one of those books that i think studying every year or reading at some point every year would be really helpful but Today we're going to go ahead and dive right in. This is chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, and I'm going to read it. Then Anna's going to tell us a little bit about it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? 
Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You can see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. Awesome. Um, Okay, so here in this section, we are talking about faith. I think we want to start by just asking ourselves, what is faith? Like, that's a word we hear a lot. A lot, a lot. (laughs) And I think it can easily be um, diluted because we hear it so much. According to Google, it said having complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Thinking about that for a second. If we have faith in Jesus, if we have faith in him, it means that we have complete trust and complete confidence in who he is and and in what he says he's gonna do Mm -hmm. Emily how does that like thinking about faith in your own life do you feel like that's what it actually like looks like to have faith do you feel like that's what you've learned so far about having faith well this makes me think of for the past two weeks I guess talking about double-mindedness where yeah you say you believe in God because you do believe that he is real and he's who he says he is but you don't actually trust him with the plan that he has for you you don't trust that it's good you don't trust it enough to walk in it and so you make these backup plans I was talking about this with my bible study and we were saying this is human nature like I'm not trying to shame anybody for having like a backup plan but James is calling that double-minded yeah he's saying if you really really trust and believe fully in God then you don't need a backup plan because you fully trust where he's leading yep and so he's he encouraging us to walk more aligned with our faith in him and relying on him more for what we need daily, you know? Yeah. And when we're able to do that, I think what James is trying to call our attention to is like, okay, when we are fully trusting in God's plan for our life and not having any little backup plans or like side hustles to try and like further ourselves along, then we're able to walk in a way that looks different from the rest of the world. Like thinking about, okay, well, what are works? What does that even mean? The NIV says works, the ESV says deeds. I think that's mm-hmm. one in the same, like works, deeds. How we're going to define that just for our own purposes is how you live your life. Like how you're living out your daily life, the people that you encounter, um, how are you treating them? How are we loving the people around us? And if our life doesn't look any different from the person maybe in your 
I don't know, 8 a.m. class, like who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, then what James is saying is if our life doesn't look different, then our faith is dead, which feels kind of blunt. Like the word dead feels like heavy (laughs) because it is. Yeah. I think it's like contrasting, you know, like that we are alive in Christ and that that kind of moves us to action when God's word and his Holy Spirit takes root in our hearts. It like makes us alive in him. And so he's saying on the other end, if you're not being moved to do things differently and like live according to God's plan, then your faith may be dead. Like it's almost more of a caution rather than a like call out. Does that make sense? I don't think he's trying to be mean. I think he's trying to be like, Hey, don't you want an alive faith? Don't you want to experience the you know, the power of the Holy Spirit in you and like God's power in you. I think that's totally what he's saying. And what he's not saying, okay, this is important. What James is not saying is that we are saved by our works. Um, Right. It can be easy to read this and like where it says, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That's verse 26. It can be easy to read that and say like, okay, so in order to like have a relationship with Jesus, I have to be a really good person. And that is not what James is saying. He is saying that as a result of our faith, our lives look different. A sermon I was listening to by Tim Keller said that we are saved by faith alone, but not by faith that remains alone. Mm -hmm. Like we are saved by faith alone. Like we're saved because Jesus died on a cross for us and he has extended a hand and is saying, I love you and I want to walk with you. Like, take my hand and let's walk through life together. But if we're only like taking a hand and not taking a step forward with him into the work that he's prepared for us, our faith isn't growing. It's not changing. Our lives are remaining the exact same. And Jesus wants to walk with us through life. That's that faith is trusting that we're holding his hand as we're walking into these works that he's prepared for us to do. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to me. And Anna and I are going through a study by Lydia Brownback on the book of James. It's also really helpful if you want to go a little deeper. But she wrote something in here that I think is super helpful with this picture. Good works are the result of salvation or being saved by faith, not the cause of it. Faith doesn't save us, only Christ does. Faith is merely the means or the instrument of salvation. Mm -hmm. And so Anna and I were talking yesterday about that instrument picture. Yeah. Like imagine, you know, when you realize, oh, I believe in God and I want to accept his gift of salvation and I have full faith in him. It's like you're given your faith as this instrument. So we were we were talking about a violin. I know. <laughs> so I love the a violin because a violin, if not played well, can sound really, really bad. <laughs> it's so true. So you have this instrument, your faith, but if you don't participate in playing it and let the Lord teach you how to use it, then it's like useless. Yeah. It doesn't make music. Right. And so I think that's a really good picture because it's like cool, I was gifted this instrument for it to be used. Yep. And there's there's actually a passage in Ephesians. It's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I'm going to read that really quick. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and it's not your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's multiple things here. Mm-hmm. It says that we're given the grace, like the undeserved gift of salvation because we have faith or we believe in him. But it's not our own doing through works. I think he's really referencing the way that the Jews used to see the law, like as if we are really good at accomplishing and completing the law right. and obeying these rules, then we'll be closest to God. Right. And he's saying it's not like that. It's not that the more you do, the closer you are to God. It's like, in fact, the opposite of that because no one can earn it. Yeah. But God created us for good works. Yeah. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so I think it's part of our purpose as we, like you were saying, hold hands with God. I, th- I love that picture so much. But as you believe in him and then start to walk with him, that he has these good things for you because they mm-hmm. are going to bless you. They're going to deepen your relationship with him and your trust in him. And he really has this desire to bless and love others. Yeah. If you look at Jesus's life, he was the king. He was the Messiah. He had every right to be served and he served others. Yep. The way that he served and loved people, that's what he wants to do for us and do in us. Yeah. Obviously, it's a little bit complicated because um, even in Romans 3.28, Paul wrote, one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. In other words, like our faith is not earned by what we do. Another thing that this lady who wrote our book said that I think is super, super helpful is that scripture does not contradict itself. So if there's a moment that it seems like it does, take a closer look and see how those two things coexist. Yeah. Let scripture interpret scripture. Yeah. Like when there's things that feel like, is this contradicting itself? Like instead of saying this is contradicting itself, so I'm not going to believe it anymore. No, take a second and think about it. So of course it can feel like Paul and James are contradicting each other and like they're saying two separate things. But one, Paul and James would have been like, teaching around the same time like it's not like they were dumb and accidentally contradicted each other no what James is doing is he is saying we're saved by faith alone and then he's adding to that and saying and because of that faith our lives should look different yeah it's like after you're saved after you accept your salvation walking with God transforms how you live and who you are. And so if it's not, then kind of like we were saying earlier, he's saying, have you done a pulse check on your faith lately? Yeah. (laughs) Are you walking in the works that the Lord has called you into? Yeah. Um, The reason I love that James is highlighting Abraham's faith in this little section. So in Genesis, just to kind of give you a quick recap in Genesis, Abraham is promised by God that he's going to have a son and that his descendants are going to be many, many, many. I think God says more numerous than the stars will your descendants be. But his wife was barren, so she couldn't have a kid. And Abraham's like, okay, like I, I'll trust you. I trust you. And it took years for them to finally have a son. 
And then when that son, Isaac, when he was old enough to walk and to like walk alongside his dad, God told Abraham, hey, you're going to go sacrifice Isaac. Which would have been the most precious thing in his life. He had been waiting for this promise from God. Like Isaac is the direct like fulfillment of the promise that God had given Abraham. And as they're walking there, like walking to this mountain where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac because that's what the Lord had told him to do. Isaac continues asking like, father, where, where's the ram for sacrifice? Like, where is it? And Abraham's response is only the Lord will provide. And I love that because he's not like, he's still walking in full faith towards this mountain where he's like, maybe I'm about to sacrifice my son, but also like, I'm trusting that what the Lord has said is true and he's going to provide, even though this feels like not the right thing. And then when they get there, there's a ram in the thicket in the, it says the thicket. I think that's a bush. Uh, yeah. (laughs) And it's beautiful. Like what I love about this is when we look at the whole story of Abraham's life, if from the very beginning, God had said, Hey, take your first son, firstborn son and go sacrifice him. Abraham would have been like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. But the Lord had built his faith over time through the waiting and through the promises that had been fulfilled in his life, that as he is walking to this mountain, being told you're going to sacrifice your firstborn son, he has faith that no matter what the Lord is going to provide and that the Lord is good. And it allows him to like walk forward with his son. And then ultimately, like God sees the faith that Abraham has and he Isaac doesn't get sacrificed. Like, it's all good. Um, But God isn't asking him to have that kind of faith right off the bat. Like, he's building his faith just like how when we, if we're playing an instrument, we're not going to ask to, like, play a Beethoven symphony right off the bat. Like, he's going to build our faith over time just like he did with Abraham. Yeah, I love that. I want to say... If you're interested in going into these stories more, we have a set of notes and questions that are on a resources page on our website. It's ayaministries.com slash resources, and there's a link. You can download the PDF. For this particular week, we actually wrote down like the exact places in the Bible where you can find the story of Abraham and of Rahab, and there's one more where it talks about God is one. There's another important thing to look into there. But you know, this is just a starter podcast to start your discussions in your groups and to start your curiosity of what James is really saying here. So make sure that you go ayaministries.com slash resources and pull this up because we take the time to take notes on each section and to ask some good questions that kind of help it sink in more. So if you want the story of Abraham and Rahab, we have those exact references in the resources. Okay. So we know that was a lot about faith and works and hopefully it's a little bit easier to understand just like we were just talking about. It's a process. It's, it's not, we're not going to be playing the violin perfectly right off the bat, but we're about to jump in quickly to this section in chapter three that I think actually goes really hand in hand with thinking about our lives looking differently because of our faith. Um, totally. So I'm going to read it and then Emily will tell us a little bit about it. 
So this is chapter three, verses one through 12? 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brother, these things should not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I cannot overstate (laughs) how much I need this and how good of a reminder this has been for me in studying James. Mm -hmm. And I I think exactly what you said is true, Anna. Like it's, it's the perfect thing to follow what quote deeds and works our faith produces in us because he's not saying some of you have like the potential for evil with your tongue. He's saying, unfortunately, (laughs) this is all of our Achilles heel. You know what I mean? Like this is going to be our weaknesses, especially as believers, because words are so important. This is one of the things that I think we can hear and say, yes, that was so good. But internalizing it and actually letting the Lord do work in our hearts around what we say is night and day different. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard and been like, that was so good. I really you know, don't want to gossip anymore. Or I really like, I'm going to watch what I say. And then one month later, you're back into your same old habits. And I think we can all relate on that. And what he's saying is true. We are supposed to be extraordinarily cautious with what we say and what we allow out of our mouths. Like ultimately he's working on our hearts and that's the the long-term process. And we participate in that by holding our tongue. I'm going to start at the beginning. It says not many of you should become teachers. Now, I just want to clarify that any of you who are doing like early childhood education <laughs> or whatever, that's like, great. That's not you. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's great. He's talking about teaching um, the Bible and teaching the Word and just how important and how high of a standard you're held to mm-hmm. when you're teaching this Word because 
yeah, like I said, we're human and it's so easy to, to know it in one moment and teach it and then the next minute not live like this. And the number one way that we can help guard against sin and temptation and doing things that don't line up with our faith is by learning to hold our tongue, like literally just zip it. And then I think obviously second, and this is the important part of this process is like when you're zipping it, pray a tiny prayer in your heart. Like, Lord, would you show me what to say? Lord, would you make my heart like yours? Lord, would you give me your perspective? Lord, would you give me wisdom? So that everything that comes out of our mouth runs through that filter of what lines up with our faith. The imagery here is amazing. Put the bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us and we guide their whole bodies as well. And look at ships. They're so large and driven by strong winds, but they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot directs. This whole entire section is just painting a picture of just how much our tongue and what we allow to be spoken directs our life and like reflects on our faith. He's saying because we're charged with this high standard of like the way that we love people and show mercy and kindness to them, it's so, so, so first and foremost important that you don't just like say whatever first comes to your mind. I think there's something important to talk about here, which is um, in verse six, towards the end, it says, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Obviously, that is extreme imagery, but the point is we have a sinful nature. Mm-hmm. And we also, because of salvation, because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, our faith in him saves us and makes us right with God. But it really is a process of walking with him and letting him transform us from the inside out. And so there's still going to be those sin tendencies in us. And one of them is just like our gut reactions. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're not going to be perfectly godly or even godly at all. He said like all these other creatures that are huge and powerful can be tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no one can tame, can the, tame tongue. the tongue. It is crazy to think about like with a bit in the mouth of a horse or like the rudder for a boat, it really does steer the whole ship. Yeah. And if you change, like even just by a tiny, tiny bit, you could get completely off course. And yep. it's wild to think about our tongue being like that. Like if we change the way we talk a little bit, it could change the trajectory of our whole lives. It's encouraging in this moment. I haven't really thought about this before, but it's encouraging to think of it as like, we can shift for the worse or we can also shift for the better. And like the way that yeah. the way that we talk is re- reflective of the way that we're thinking and the way we're thinking is reflective of how our soul is. And so like allowing our, I've been praying for a mind shift, like, Lord, would you shift our hearts and our minds to you? And as a result, like help shift our speech. Like, may it be glorifying to you. May right. our words be glorifying to you. Yeah, we talked about this a little bit last week because there was a really short section. The verse actually says, if it's, this is verse 26 in chapter 1. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Yeah. I think what he's saying there is 
you can shoot yourself in the foot. Like even if you are a great person and you have like a really strong faith in God, but you let yourself unwisely say whatever comes to mind or start fights or whatever it is, then essentially you are, like he's saying, double-minded. And so like your reputation isn't that you are a follower of Christ. It's just that you're a loose cannon. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And so we listed off a a long list. It's like six different Proverbs that talked about the wisdom of being slow to speak, slow to anger, slow to start a fight. Um, And one of them said, this is again in our resources, so you should go look back at that. But um, one of them said, even a fool appears wise if he doesn't say much. (laughs) I was like, that is so true. Like, it is just not to say that we want to be fools that appear wise by not saying much, but he's basically saying you have probably run across somebody who seems wise just because they don't say much. And so it's evidence that it is wise to hold our tongue. And the part of the end here, really, this is so straightforward. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? He's talking about the evidence in our life, like the things that we do, the things that we say, they are revealing about what's in our heart. Yep. And so he's not saying pretend to have a better heart. He's really through this whole thing. He's encouraging us to rely on God, let our faith take root, continue to look at the word and live by faith. But he is warning while you're still in training and still like to use the metaphor, learning how to play the violin, just like be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> just like let it, let it simmer with you. And then like check in with God, like say a prayer, just asking like, Lord, would you produce your kind of fruit in my life. Like I want my heart to be transformed into being like yours so that the stuff that comes out, the fruit is like you and not like these other things. Cause we all know what it feels like to like have judgmental thoughts in our head and to like choose not to say them. But the ultimate goal would be that we begin moving away from those judgmental thoughts because we're not indulging in saying them and moving towards loving people the way that Jesus does. Right. If you're hearing this and you're thinking like, okay, well, how do I do that? I think what Emily just said is so important and we want to challenge y'all with it as a takeaway for today is like, okay, let's say you're hanging out with your friends and maybe it starts to turn a little gossipy or like, we know, like, We know when it's like, oh, this probably isn't like the healthiest conversation. We would encourage y'all to pray, Lord, would you give me wisdom on what to say? Because we're told in James 1 to ask for wisdom because the Lord will give generously. Or maybe just say like, Lord, help me know what to say in this moment. That's like in such an amazing prayer because it's two things happening at once. One, you're acknowledging that the Lord is with you and you're like checking in with him throughout the day. And two, you're asking for wisdom. You're asking for him to help bridle your tongue. In our own strength, we can't do it, but with him, it is possible. Part of it's just slowing down, you know, like from a 
science perspective, they talk about how if you can wait, I think it's like like 11 minutes or something. I don't don't quote me, but it's a short amount of time then you can override a craving. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. If you're like, oh my gosh, I really need something sweet. But if you know about your brain, like, okay, I don't need something sweet. It's just going to send me on a sugar spiral or whatever. Like, and you're trying to make wise decisions. Mm-hmm. You practice self-control over your body and you say, okay, I'm going to wait those 11 minutes and let my brain sort of like get over this idea. Yeah. And then the craving goes away. So it's like the same thing with self-control over our tongues and over really anything. And I love, and this is actually a really good thing to end on, because if you go back to chapter 3, verse 2, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. So that's him saying, we are all so imperfect. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. Just a reminder that we are all imperfect, which puts us at this even greater need for Jesus and walking with him daily in this way. Because if if we could be perfect, if we could master like self-control over our tongue and our body, then we would be these like perfect robots, but we're not. We all have our struggles and we all have these things that feel like they're coming against us at times. And I just love that... Jesus wants to hold our hand through all of that stuff and help us through in a way that produces joy and peace and wisdom and all the things that are lasting rather than like the temporary high we get from gossiping or like, I guess to use the analogy, like the temporary high from sugar or whatever. And then later you're like, uh, that was not the move, (laughs) you know? So we're excited to send y'all out into your Bible studies or whoever you chat about this stuff with and hear your thoughts. We're just praying that this like sinks in your heart and encourages you to trust God more and walk with him in a really authentic way. Uh, Yeah, we will see y'all next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.